Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Well, I've been really excited about today because this is the day we're going to take a little break from Acts as much as I love that study. And we're going to get down to a little bit different subject for the next six weeks. The six-week series is called Recover, Becoming Who You Were Created to Be. And this will deal with really the fundamentals of faith. How do I walk with Jesus? What does that look like? I mean, have you ever been around someone or maybe a group of people and you heard them say things like, oh man, I had just an amazing time with the Lord today. And you're thinking... I don't know what that's like. I don't know how to do that. And maybe you felt a little intimidated by that. I remember when I first started dating uh, Julie, she had already been to seminary and she had, she walked a little bit higher above the ground than most people. You know how it is. Not really. She was very normal, but I was like, you know what? I don't know. Can I hang with this? And you know, walking with Jesus is really not about being super spiritual. It's just about practicing some simple fundamentals. It's not really that hard. So we're going to be spending these next six weeks on this series about how do I recover from the sinful person that I really am and become and walk with Jesus to be what he's created me to be. Because all of you, all of you were created to be something very special. God has great things for you. Whatever you're facing today, and if you're discouraged, if you're challenged, if you're weary, just know this, that... God has created you to be something amazing. And so we're going to be spending the next six weeks talking about that. And today we begin with the first of this series, and it's called The Original Pandemic. The Original Pandemic. Now, I want to congratulate you because all of you appear to be breathing, which means you have survived the COVID pandemic. Let's give ourselves a round of applause for that. I think... Uh, you say, well, Steve, people are still getting sick. People, I understand, but really, you're probably going to make it at this point. It's been hard, hasn't it? It's been rough. All of you probably had a strategy. And maybe you got into a lot of discussions that were challenging because families have been literally split apart by this. Friends have ceased to be friends over the pandemic. But you've survived. You survived. Some people got deathly ill. Some people died. You probably know some of those. I do. Some people isolated for two and a half years. Some people took therapeutics. Some people got vaccinated. Some people didn't. There was all kinds of reports, some true, some false. None of us really knew. And some have been admitted have been outright lies. But we need to remember that the pandemic that we've just been through, just coming out of, is the result of an original pandemic, isn't it? See, there was an original pandemic that took place that set the stage for all other pandemics that have followed, and there's been many. Today, we look at that original pandemic. We look at where it all started. What was the original virus? Because the original pandemic is more pervasive than COVID. Everybody gets it. And yes, everybody dies. 
We need to understand where it all started. And so we will do that in Genesis chapter 1 as we consider this original pandemic. Genesis chapter 1 verse 28 says this, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And so, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and morning the sixth day. God created the perfect design for us. The absolute perfect environment, the perfect place. He gave us the food that we needed in abundance. He gave us a purpose to care for and propagate His creation. He gave us dominion over His creation. He gave us leadership. Everything that we would need, God gave us in His original design. As Phil said earlier, we surely serve a very good God. And we have to get that in our minds because life can be difficult, right? We have to get that in our minds as we face the challenges of this time. But there was one limitation, wasn't there? Chapter 2, verse 15 of Genesis says this, And the Lord God took man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Here's God's creation. He's created man and woman. He's placed him in the garden. He's given him purpose. He's given him food. And he only gives them one rule. I really love that, don't you? There's just one rule. He doesn't give them all ten commandments. He doesn't give them the five books of the Bible, the first five books that are the law. He gives them one rule. Obey me. Don't eat of this one tree. You see, doing what God tells us to do is the fundamentals of having a walk with Him that's face-to-face, that is close As soon as we do what he tells us not to do, and it's really not that hard, we distance ourselves from him. He gave them one very simple rule. He gave them all these other trees and and bushes to eat from, but he said, don't eat of this one. Don't do this one thing. I have one limitation on you. And then chapter 3 happens. Verse 1. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Eve, did God actually say this? It's interesting that Satan, who is a fallen angel, remember Satan is not God, he's not on par with God, he's not Jesus, he is a created being. Satan has commandeered one of God's creations, a part of his beautiful creations. Creation, and just 
By the way, serpents are not inherently evil, just so you know. I used to feel like all serpents should die, but I've discovered that's, that's not true. Um, but the serpent is commandeered by the enemy because why? Because he doesn't want to come as himself. He doesn't want to show up and say, hey, I'm Satan. I'm here to be the rebellious spiritual being that God created. I'm here to get you off track. No, he comes as something God created that's good. And he slithers into place in a way that would not startle Eve. Now for us, if a snake showed up today, you would all, we would all kind of get back, right? Because let's see if he has fangs. Let's see if he's capable of killing us. Let's, we're all kind of weary of snakes. But at that time, they wouldn't have been. There's just been another one of God's creation that they had dominion over. No fear, no worry. Now the fact that he was a talking snake, that's a little problematic, isn't it? Because if a snake shows up today and says, hey, Mike, God's wrong. You would, you would go, well, I'm not going to listen to a talking snake, right? And then we'd have you see a psychiatrist right after that, probably. Um, but it's amazing. And social media bears this out. Who we will listen to who's talking about something that we want to know about. Especially if they're touching a nerve of something that we would like to know about or believe in, Right? We don't really care about source. We just want to hear someone say what we want him to say. So he comes in as a talking snake and he questions God. Did God actually say? Is this what God said? Did God say you can't eat of any tree in the garden? See, what he casts God is as someone who limits him, limits man and woman and makes them really try to exist in a way they couldn't exist because they needed to eat. They needed the fruit of the trees and of the garden. He said, did God say you can't eat of any? So in other words, what he's casting in their mind is that God is a restrictive God. God's a mean God. He's an unreasonable God. The woman's response in verse 3, 2 and 3 says this, The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the tree of the fruit, of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Interesting, she's almost right, but she adds to it. It's almost like saying, you can, you can go, you can't even touch this tree. You can't even touch it or you'll die, which isn't true. God just said, don't eat of the tree. Again, she is falling into his trap of God is a mean God. He's an unreasonable God. He expects too much of us. The enemy has her right where he wants her, doesn't he? right in the place where he can manipulate her. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you, shall, you will not surely die. Isn't this what the enemy always says? You will not surely die. It doesn't matter if you obey God or not. God is not telling you the truth. You've been there? Have you heard that voice? You'll not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, this is a good thing. God is holding back something good from you that will make you even better than you've ever been. In fact, you'll be like God. Never underestimate our desire to be God. 
We all don't, wouldn't admit it. Oh, no, I don't want to be God. I'm just a humble person who really deserves a little more than what I got. But, you know. Oh, I'm just a humble person, but I wish God had done this. You know, I think he really missed an opportunity to bless me there. I wish God had done that. I wish God would do this for me. And we're constantly in this judging God, and we really do want to be God. Really enjoying the book called The Cure. What if God isn't who you think he is, and neither are you? And there's a key quote that says, your view of you is the greatest commentary on your view of God. How you see yourself tells you a ton about how you see God. And that's exactly what Satan is playing on. He knows that she sees herself as someone who is worthy of more. Even though she and her husband have dominion over the entire earth, over all of creation, he knows that she has started to believe that she is worthy of more and that God is unfair. And see, every time we say we're worthy of more than what we have, we're saying God you're not good to me. You're not fair to me. And this is where we really stop trusting God because we're like, God, I need to do some extra because I just don't think you're going to come through like I need you to. I just don't think you're going to be enough for me. If you're wondering what you think about God, ask yourself some questions. What do I think about myself? Did God save me? Did Jesus die for me? Do I have all of him? Or is he holding something back? It's interesting at this point, we find out that Adam has been there all along. Because in the story, you're wondering at this point, well, where's Adam? She's off by herself. What is, what is she doing? She's going to get her nails done. What happened? I don't know. Where's Adam? He's not showing up. Oh, but Adam's been there all along. So she gave him the fruit and he was with her. He was with her. Adam had heard the command directly from God. Eat of all the trees except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. No doubt he would have relayed that to her because she got it wrong, but she got some of it right. So Adam has told her. Adam knows, even though even he, as he watches Eve be deceived, he knows the truth. And he eats it anyway. He's not deceived. He willfully rebels against what God has told him. Adam has the same desire as Eve. He wants to be great. Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped to verse 6. So the, then the woman saw that the tree, let me, let me back up a little bit because I missed verse 6. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight in the eyes, that the tree was to be desired and make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. Appetite, beauty, greatness. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. First John chapter 2. These are the fundamental points that the enemy tempts us. It's beautiful. It satisfies my appetite. It will make me wise. It will make me great. It will make me godlike. These are the things that the enemy plays on. She sees that. She takes the fruit. She gives it to Adam and they eat. Does that resonate with you? Does Satan get you right at that point as well? I deserve more. I deserve to feel good. I deserve to look good. I deserve to be great. God, you're withholding something. You're not giving me all that I need. 
She wants what God said she could not have. Blaise Pascal, you've probably heard of him, the French mathematician in the 16th century, also a theologian. He says this, he says, you know what we do is we have this, this void in our lives. You've heard the God-shaped hole. This is, he's the guy who coined this idea. He said there's this abyss in us. We keep trying to push stuff in and force stuff into it. He says, but, he says, but all of these are inadequate because the infinite object can only be filled by an infinite immutable object, that is to say, God himself. Adam and Eve are trying to fill their lives with stuff and try to force it into a place that can only be filled by God himself. That is our sinful nature. That's who we are. That's how we act. But their choice has devastating effects, verse 7. It says, Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. For us, it seems kind of odd. But can you imagine they just wake up and they realize they are naked, they are exposed. They're vulnerable. Their sinfulness has been revealed to them. And they say to themselves, we've got to cover ourselves. So what do they do? They, they find some leaves and they, it sounds kind of ridiculous, but can you imagine they've, you've got to cover yourself? And that's exactly what sin does. It tells us that we're exposed. I've got to cover up. That's, that's an involuntary uh, reaction. I've got to cover myself. And so they find whatever they can and they sew leaves together. But those kinds of covers have to be continually replaced. See, on our own, we are continually trying to replace the covering over our lives. Verse 8. But they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Can you just imagine? Here's God walking in the garden, which tells you this was something that happened a lot. Probably every evening, maybe every morning as well. They had some kind of a meeting with God and they hear him coming and they know it's him. Can you imagine? And they hide. Because that's what we do when we have sinned. We hide. You see, our sin always creates distance with God. Doing what God clearly has said not to do causes us to be distant from him. Let me ask you. How close are you to him right now? Would you say that there's a distance? Maybe a great distance. Maybe a long way. Listen, let me just tell you, he didn't move. He didn't leave you. But when we sin, we create distance between ourselves and God. Always. Always. They hear God walking in the garden and they hide among the trees of the garden. Verse 9. But the Lord called to the man. He said to him, where are you? And that's what he calls to us today as well. See, God knows exactly where they are, but he's asking them. He wants Adam to actually respond and say, where are you? What, what happened to you? Where have you been? What, where, I, I came to our meeting and you weren't there. I met you at Starbucks, but you didn't show up. We were supposed to have a great meeting and great conversation and, and kind, of, kind of share our hearts, but you weren't there. That's what happens when we have walked away from God is we don't show up for the meeting. 
that helps us get that squared away. Adam and Eve missed a meeting. Where are you? Verse 10. But he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. Because I was naked and I hid myself. So it never happened to Adam before. I heard you coming. I was afraid. Because I was exposed. I was naked. And God said to him, who told you you were naked? Who told you that? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? How do you know this? How, what, what has happened in your life? Now, God knows all these things, but again, he's leading Adam to admit what's happened. The woman said, and the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. The serpent deceived me, and I ate. It's the first confession, though they have a hard time accepting responsibility. Adam says, you know what, uh, you know, God, the woman that I really needed, that I really wanted, that I knew I needed to have in my life, she gave me this fruit. How was I to know? I was eating breakfast, reading the paper, watching the news, and she put this fruit. I had no idea. No, he didn't know, didn't he? Oh, it's hard to accept blame, isn't it? And in a way, God, it was your fault because you gave her to me. Ever blame God for your sin? God, you made me this way. You made me available to have sin. You, you made me this way, so I, I, what else could I do but sin? We have a hard time coming to grips with the fact that we simply did what God said not to do. And the woman does pretty much the same thing. She says, the serpent deceived me. One of your creation. God, you made the snake. You made him. Deceived me and I ate. It's heartbreaking. It's interesting how God handles it. He walks them through to the place where they have to say, we did exactly what you told me not to do. And you may seem, say, that seems cruel. No, actually, that's the biggest blessing. If we can get to the place where we can admit what we've done, it gives us the opportunity for God to bring covering in our lives. This is the original pandemic. The first humans are now infected. They will die. A hundred percent of their offspring will die except for Jesus Christ. But there's some good news in this. God tells the serpent, you're going to be on your belly the rest of your life. You're going, to, you're going to crawl in the dust. You're going to bruise the heel of man. But what? The seed of the woman, a seed, Jesus Christ is who he's foreshadowing, will crush your head. Evil will be defeated one day. And to the woman, he says, listen, because you have sinned, here's what's going to happen. The thing that you are uniquely able to do, which is to bear children, is going to be very, very difficult for you. You can do it but it's going to be very painful. And you will have a tendency to want to try to rule over your husband. To the man, he says, listen, you're going to have the thing that I've given you to do, the original job I gave you to do, which was to manage creation, to, to gain, to eat from the creation. It's going to be very difficult for you. It's going to be very hard. You're going to have a hard life, but you're not going to die immediately. You'll die eventually. And verse 19 kind of sums it up. It says, by the sweat of your face, 
you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man and the woman who wanted to be God are reminded who they really are. They are dust, not deity. Even in this, God is still gracious. God is still gracious. In verse 20 and 21, it says, The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. He looks at Eve. She hasn't born any children yet, but he looks at her knowing that she will bear children. He says to her, listen, I want to call you Eve. You're the mother of all living. The woman he had just accused of causing him to sin, he says, you're the mother of all living things. And then in verse 21, the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and he clothed them. Look what's happening here. For us, it just seemed like, oh, they, they went shopping, they bought some clothes. No, actually, understand what's happening. Animals had to be sacrificed for those clothes to be made. Blood had to be shed to cover the sin of man. It's a picture of who Jesus Christ will ultimately be. It's a precursor to the sacrificial system as, as the blood of the lamb would be spread over the doorposts in Egypt to free the people so that the death angel would pass them by. It's a picture of Jesus Christ dying on a cross who will pay the ultimate price to pay for our sin with his very blood to defeat and to cure this virus. Even in the garden, even in the midst of sin, even in the midst of, of impending death, there is a covering. There is a provision made. See, the blood of Jesus is the only way to recover from the virus of the original pandemic. So let me ask you, how are you treating the virus? What's your strategy for the original pandemic? How are you treating the virus? There's really only two ways to go. You can either listen to the voice of the serpent or listen to the voice of the lamb. The serpent says things like, it's you and your ability that matters. You can be God-like. The serpent's way places you as the one who has to defeat the virus. You spend all of your time trying to delay and defeat death. Your obsession is to feel good about yourself. You vigorously defend your value and you tirelessly work to accumulate power. And you overcome your faults by doing amazing things, hoping that your flaws will be minimized in that. You're hoping that there's some kind of a bank balance that you did more good than evil and that will, that will defeat the virus. But the way of the lamb is opposite the way of the serpent. If you follow Jesus, you depend on him to defeat the virus. You spend your time, your life, leaning into him. As Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 11, he says, he says reckon yourselves, which I love that word, desire or, or consider yourselves to be dead into sin and to live unto Jesus. In other words, think of yourself as having Jesus within you. Live that life. Quit living as a dead person who's a slave to sin. You're trusting Jesus. Jesus to defeat the virus. You're leaning into him. You're trying to 
make him seen as great rather than making yourself great. You recognize that he is absolutely pleased with you. Do you believe that? That Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of his, that he is pleased with you. You don't have to spend all your time and energy trying to earn his favor, trying to prove, aren't I good? Aren't I valuable? Jesus, I'm worth your... No, listen, he has already proven your value by dying for you. It doesn't matter how bad you've lived. It's just a question of whether you're trusting in Jesus. And you see him as infinitely greater than yourself. You see Jesus as this great God and you are simply redeemed dust. So where are you today? Are you listening to the serpent or to the lamb? You say, well, Steve, I, I, I accepted Jesus a while back and I, I, I was baptized and I had an experience with him, but, you know, I, I feel like I still get trapped into that works mentality and I still listen to the serpent who says, I deserve more than I have. Is that where you are? It's easy to get there. It really is. Most of you are very accomplished people. You're successful. You know how to make a living. You know how to care for yourself. You know how to build relationships. But listen, nothing of value happens on our own. It's only when we lean into Jesus and we live the life that he has called us to live with the spirit governing our lives. We need to listen to the Lamb. Don't listen to the serpent that says you're not good enough. God is holding something back. God is a mean God. He's not fair. You need to go get all you can because God's not going to be there for you. No, I need to trust Jesus. Jesus, you've given me all of you. I have all the God I'm ever going to get. Listen to the lamb. Receive the cure. If you've never received that incredible gift of salvation, I urge you to do so today. It's as simple, but as profound as saying, Jesus, I am a sinner. You don't hold stuff back for me. You have given everything. You've given your son's life for me. And I'm asking for that payment to count for me. I'm asking you to save. And I want your spirit to come and live through me. Do that today. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know what? I've been listening to the serpent. I've been listening to the serpent. I've been getting, I've, I've been buying into the world's view. I've been thinking I need to earn my goodness. Listen, today, a simple prayer of repentance. God, I, I want to trust you today. I want to lean into you. I want to stop trying to be good enough. Now I want to lean into what Jesus you have done to pay for me, to cure me of this deadly virus. And I'm trusting you that that's what you're going to do. Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out